Welcome to Courageous Me, your go-to podcast if you're looking for inspiration and the confidence to put the spark back into your life. Hi, I'm your host, Kim Payne, and I'm on a mission to empower professional women to live kick-ass liberated lives where they're seen, heard, and fully valued. Join me on a journey to reignite your passion, get clear on your purpose, and to put more fun into all you do. To declare to that beautiful human staring back at you in the mirror, you've got this. If that sounds like you, let's do it. Welcome to another episode of Courageous Me. And this one's a really, really, really exciting one for me because our guest is actually my coach, who is a catalyst for getting me on the path to get this podcast up and running, something I'd been wanting to do for donkey's years. And working with her was what inspired me and gave me the courage to get on and bring it to you. So it's really fun. We're flipping the tables today and I get a chance now to interview her and find out more about who she is and where she's had to find courage in her life. So it's Penny Lacasso. She is a hackiness happer. Happer. <laughs> Happiness happer. I love that. I love that. Can now, I'm not it? editing that out. No. <laughs> I talk about being imperfect and owning bloopers. I love <laughs> That's a classic. That. <laughs> and there we go. Um, before I get on to Penny, I need to introduce how I met Penny. So I, in November, December last year, catch up with a girlfriend of mine saying, I'm just, I'm not where I want to be. There's this world that I want and I, I've got to connect what I'm doing right now to this world. So she said, my ex-boyfriend's ex-wife is you know kind of eight years ahead of where you want to be you need to go and have coffee with her I need to introduce you so already I'm like wow you want to introduce me to your ex-boyfriend's ex-wife so I'm assuming that she liked this ex-boyfriend's ex-wife so I go and meet Penny I have a coffee and clicked immediately now I'm not in the market for a coach when I meet Penny I'm just going to meet up with someone, have a coffee and kind of, you know, learn a bit about what she did to get to where she is. About three or four weeks later, I've signed up and I became one of her coaching clients. And I've just, I've just actually finished a six month stint with her that was completely life changing. So I will tell you a bit more about that as we go through. However, let me introduce Penny Lacasso, happiness hacker. And Penny, before you tell us a little bit about you, could you just share why you're excited about having this conversation with me today about courage? Oh, <laughs> how long do I have? Um, firstly, I'm excited to have this conversation with you about courage because you creating this podcast was courageous. You making the changes that you've made were courageous and being able to now be a part of that on the back end of your you know, next evolution is just an absolute honour. Um, but secondly, um, from, from the me perspective, I courage for me has been foundational in me being able to realize potential that I never knew that I had and equally enabling my clients to do the same. So I just think it is one of the greatest skill sets for living a life wholeheartedly and in alignment with who you want to be. Oh, absolutely. And I remember every single coaching call, one of the questions you asked is, who are you as a person? Mm. So Penny, I'm going to throw that right back at you. Who are you? Who is Penny Lacasso as a person? Mm. I, am, I am a mother of a beautiful 13-year-old son who feels like a mate. I hope that never goes away. I am equally the mother of a big black Labrador who was the second child I always wanted and never had. Um, I am a very passionate yogi of 20 years. Um, I am a student of psychology and trauma-informed therapy. I am a believer in possible. I am abundant and joyful. That's today. That's who I am as a person today. It's probably going to be completely different tomorrow. 
Oh, how beautiful. And, you know, to end that on, I am joyful. I mean, what a word. Oh, that just captures so many heartstrings mm. and is so beautiful. So, Penny, I know that this hasn't always been your world. Mm. Tell me where, and you said when we when you answered the question about what excites you about courage, that it really was something that allowed you to see what's possible. Where did that first really come up and play out in your life where you did had to dig deeper and find some courage because something maybe wasn't aligning like it is now that, you know, you wouldn't have answered that question, who are you today, like you did right now? When did that all change or start that change for you? Yeah, I mean, it's funny when I look back, there's moments of courage throughout your life, right? But if I, I look at those moments back in sort of my earlier years, they were nothing compared to the courage that I've shown in the last nine years. Because what you find about this beautiful skill is that once you start stepping into it, it becomes addictive because you realize the things that you fear are nowhere near as scary um, as what you first thought. And you also realize that what sits on the other side of fear is your true potential. It is opportunity. So um, <clears throat> to answer your question, I really stepped into courage when I was 39 years old. So I'd had um, a very successful corporate career in a global giant, ticked all the boxes I was told would make me happy slash successful. And I had everything I always say, including the white picket fence, like everything. I wanted for nothing at the age of 39. And I was sitting there going, how is it? I've done everything I was told would make me arrive at this magical destination and I feel unfulfilled. And when I kind of started to question that, um, I realized that the things that truly made me happy were human connection, positively impacting the lives of others, sharing experiences and being present in a mo and in a moment. And they were all the things that I continued to sideline in my pursuit of more and, uh, you know, more success, more material things. And uh, so I did something really crazy. And this was probably, I don't know, I've done some pretty courageous things since this. But this was, this was massive. So I, within a seven-month period off the back of that awakening, turned my whole life upside down in pursuit of happiness. The only thing that didn't change was my son. So I left the 16-year career as a senior executive at the top of my game as a female with high potential, which I always love because I'm yet to meet one with no potential. I relocated my family from Perth back to Melbourne. I left an 18-year relationship, which was the ex-husband that you mentioned, and started my own purpose-driven company with no idea what I was doing, no idea whatsoever. But I knew that I couldn't be the only person that wanted to define flourishing, is what I now call it, that's the psychological term, wanted to define what flourishing looked like on my terms because it's different for each of us and then work out how the hell I inject more of it into the way I live my life. So that's probably... And so you didn't know how to do this? Didn't know. Oh, no, I remember when I first heard this story, it's like, she did what? When you said you felt unfulfilled mm. in a life that, on you know, looking from the outside in has got every single box ticked, how did that actually feel like each day how did you actually feel that that showed you that that something just wasn't right mm, there was a couple of things it's, and that's a really good question um because I'm a big I, I think the first thing that will resonate with your audience um was that to be honest um for a long time I hadn't felt because I'd become so good at um stepping over my body's warning signals Right. And so when I had that sort of moment of what does this look like on my terms? And when I looked back at sort of why am I thinking this? One of the biggest signs, and I realize now I was completely burnt out, completely, right? I would be sick every month. Every month I would be sick. And I have Crohn's disease. So I have a compromised immune system. And so I would be sick to the point where I was in bed once a month with something that would completely knock me out. But I would be in that bed. I wouldn't be taking a sick day. I'd be on the laptop and I would be working away. And, and like, I still, you know, I still look at it and go, how could I not see how crazy this was? Yeah. So that was probably, you know, um, so I, I felt exhausted. 
I was like, and but you wouldn't, again, you wouldn't have known it, right? I was doing triathlons. I was running half marathons. I was working four days a week. My son was three years old, obviously managing the household and all of that sort of stuff. So I felt burnt out. Um, I felt like I wasn't, um, and I hear this from women all the time, I felt like no one was getting the best of me. Um, and I felt like I was doing my son a complete disservice. And that came off the back of this moment that was another like freaking light bulb where I went out in the backyard and, you know, he was like two and a half, I think three, almost three. And he had these big yellow Tonka trucks and we were in Perth. So it was beautiful weather and he was playing. And I went out in the backyard and I said, come on, matey, come inside. Let's hang out and do something. And he looked up to me, up at me and he said, I can't, I'm too busy. And it was like a dagger. He said that. He said that. And I, it was like a dagger. And of course, where would you put that up from? Exactly, exactly. And that was like, it was like a dagger through the heart where you hear your own words, like they say through the mouths of babes, isn't it? Your own words repeated back to you. And I was like, what the hell am I doing? Like, we are just creating another little hamster wheel human here who all he sees is busy parents. And what does being busy tell a child? That's what I was like. What It tells a child that you're not important enough to be part of the busy work. You're not a priority. Oh. And so that was, those were some of the things that were going on in terms of how I was feeling. And that made me feel like shit and go, something's got to change. Wow. Oh, Penny. Oh, I didn't know that part of the oh, I didn't know. I've never told um, you So. No, I didn't. But, I, you know, I use the word fruit all the time. That's my F word. And the reason <laughs> was that, that when I was driving one day, my son was in the back seat. He was three. And I had to slam on the brakes because the car in front of me stopped suddenly. Mm-hmm. And I slammed on the brakes. I didn't hit the car. And my son in the back seat yelled out, what the F? And used the real F word. I, I won't say it given we're on a podcast. And I'm like... <laughs> How does he know that word and how does he know it in context? And from that day onwards, I swapped the F word for fruit, which means I can never muck it up. And that's why, and I then forget I always say that word and I say it all the time and grown-ups are like, you're allowed to swear, Kim. It's like, I know, but now I'm so conditioned. So I get the impact of mm. when you're, those words come out of your child's mouth and you know you're probably responsible for putting them in there. Mm. You need to work out how you can unravel it. So did you did you have an idea then? Okay, so you've got in your mind, you've got to change things. You've recognised you're feeling unfulfilled. You've got symptoms that are physically showing up in your body about the predicament that you're in. How did you work out what to do? Like where did that <clears throat> come from? Mm. I'd love to say that it was like... Uh, I, I knew straight away, but I didn't. I, like, it's so funny, and I know you'll be able to. When I was at Shell, I had, you know, huge teams of people working for me. I had multi million dollar budgets. You know, there was one stage where I was running um, a business, it was a billion dollar business. And the irony was, I stepped out and started my own business and thought, oh, this will be easy, right? Because it's not anywhere near the scale of that. But it's very different having to run your own business when you have no resources and no multi-million dollar budgets, right? Um, Or any of the structures and the processes and the systems that go with that. So I thought this would be straightforward, but I realized um, that it wasn't like none of the, it was almost like none of the stuff that I knew would serve me in where I was going forward. So in terms of what actions I took, I used those four things when I questioned what happiness looks like for me, as like a, a compass. So human connection, positively impacting their lives of others, sharing experiences and being present. So that was all I knew to be true. And I figured that if I took tiny actions that were in alignment with bringing more of those things into each day, the action would breed the clarity. And I think that's probably been one of the greatest lessons I have learned. We are so conditioned to believe to not take action until we have a plan. But there are some things where there is no plan. It doesn't. This perfect plan doesn't exist. And entrepreneurship is probably one of the best examples, as is life. So learning to experiment and trusting that it really didn't, like letting go of the outcome. It didn't matter what the outcome was. What mattered was that I learned and evolved 
with each step that I took. Failure was only failure if I didn't learn anything from the action that I took. Um, and so when you say what sort of, you know, what actions did you take? Um, I did a couple of things. I went out and met with, oh God, I must've had like a hundred coffees with purpose-led entrepreneurs. And I just said to them, you turned your life upside down in a different way. Yeah. You've stepped into something that you're really passionate about. That's purpose-driven. What did you do? How did you work this out? And like no one, again, no one had the silver bullet, but I could, I think what that gave me was the courage to just try because what you realized was that no one knew what they were doing. They just had to work it out along the way. And that was perhaps, um, yeah, the, the first step that I took. Well, it normalizes how you're feeling, doesn't it? Because you think everyone else has got it all sorted. How, how can I not know or whatever? And then you realize, oh, they don't either, but they're still doing it. Like, okay, what am I missing here? Yeah, it's some yeah. revelation almost, isn't it? But can I just take one step backwards? You were very clear on the four, like almost the foundations of what you wanted. How did you, which then guided you yeah. to kind of working out? If I could bring those four things, where did those four things come from? How did you get the clarity on what they were? I asked myself, what does happiness look like for me? And when I thought back to the themes around that, like when am I happiest? I'm happiest when I'm connecting with other human beings. So human connection is clearly important. Um, I'm happiest when I'm not distracted by all the things I have to do in the future. I'm actually fully in a moment like you and I are now, like I'm fully here, like 150%. Yeah, that makes me happy. So presence and that's another thing I hear from women all the time. I wish I could be more present in the moments that matter. Yeah. Um, and sharing experiences was about coming together with other people. Um, you know, often I found that when I was learning and growing, doing that when I was with other people and having that experience, that shared experience, really um, made me feel good. And, you know, even like I love um, group workouts because I don't know about you, because I know you love your exercise, but I just find like, I'll, I'm motivated enough to go by myself, but I will push myself. You will always push yourself further when you are surrounded by other people. So that was like how I worked out oh, sharing experiences. Like, and the thing is all of these things, human connection, like I loved that they were, they were broad. So I wasn't um, saying, mm -hmm. you know, like, cause I didn't really know, I didn't have any idea what I was doing, but I was like, well, these things could be applied in a million ways and there is no one right way. And I think that's the other thing we get attached to. I don't want to take action until I know what the right action is. And it's like, there is no, like, it's so rare that there is a right action in this domain. So I was like, well, it really doesn't matter which path I take. I just need to be courageous and experiment. And as I experiment, to your point earlier as well, work out what feels good and connect in with my body and then just keep going with that. And that's what I did. And I think that is such a beautiful point though, Penny, that, and, you know, going back to when you were experiencing this just lack of fulfillment in your corporate role, that you weren't actually listening to your body. No. You know, your mind was going, I should feel this way because I've achieved X, Y, and Z. And from society's point of view, that ticks every happiness box. But you weren't listening to your body and your body was saying, yeah, no, no, no. And even again, just then, you know, being able to tap in and listen to what your body is saying. Mm. And I think it's quite golden that those four pillars, I'm not sure what you call them, yeah. but that they're not just limited to your work life. They're limited to your life that you live across all areas, which allows you, therefore, to make decisions about your work or about your personal life um, that involve that making sure those things come into play, uh, which means that, you know, you're not just going, oh, I just have to be happy at work and it looks like this or, you know, compartmentalising because you are you're one human being across all these areas, right? It's all intertwined and I, I don't think you can look at anything in isolation. It's, um, and and they, they gave me like a compass. And you know what the irony is, Kim? Those things still hold true, true to this day. They still guide me. So I have a lot more idea. I'm and do you very... ever make a decision? Sorry, you go. Oh, you go? 
<laughs> do, do you still, so do they really help you with making decisions in your life, whether it's about a work thing or something personally? Do, are they really like, you know, those guiding forces that you use to look at, do I do this? Do I not do this? How does that play out? Mm. So um, they definitely do, but in a different way. And it's like some of the work that you and I did, right? So I have used them to over time develop a very succinct purpose. So I know exactly what my purpose is. And when I say it, it gives me goosebumps. So my purpose is to elevate societal flourish, flourishing through inspiration, action, and the empowerment of women. Now, there's no way I could have said that eight years ago, but that courage and experimentation has unlocked that. And then what sits beside that purpose is what I call the hell yes list. And the hell yes list is based on that purpose and the things that make me happy, those four guiding principles, what are the types of opportunities I want to say hell yes to? So this is like a simple list of like five points that basically enable, it's, you know, it sits on my desk and those points enable me to assess every opportunity that comes across my desk and say, is this a full bodied hell yes? Is it in alignment with the woman that I want to be, the mother I want to show up as, you know, with, in alignment with the well-being that I want to cultivate? Because if it's not, then it's a fruit no, to your point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. And I must say, Penny, you are what helped me get the clarity around what my purpose was. Put it into words mm -hmm. that I can then roll off my tongue. And mine is to empower women to live kick-ass, liberated lives where they're seen, heard and fully valued. And as much as I'd had bits and pieces of it, you know, written down over the years, you helped me bring that into a succinct statement that then now, like I said, it rolls off my tongue. And every single day, something comes up where I test that. Like if I'm doing some work or I'm having a conversation where I test that, and it's like, yes, like a big part of the work I do is helping women particularly, but not just limited to women, but really feel seen and heard and valued mm -hmm. and Everything ties that statement. It's like I've been every day. I put it under the the um, under a litmus test. And does this work? Does this show up exactly as I want? And every single time it does, because it's come from my heart. It's got the clarity in being able to articulate it. And that was one of one of the millions of golden nuggets that you helped me create. And my hell yes list. So one of my core values is love and. Mm. The word love, not just limited to romantic love. Like, you know, I want to love everything I would do. I want to love the conversations I have. I want to love the work that I do. I want to love being with my kids. And obviously love in the sense of loving other humans. But my list is like my love list. So what? where yours is your hell yes list. And again, mm -hmm. this is off the back of you sharing the hell yes list concept. I just call it my love list. I love do that. I love this? Does this light me up inside? Does this fuel me where I will get up and do that because it's coming from within or does this make me you know want to sit back cross my arms and go nah I don't love it and I don't want to do something I like like I won't buy a piece of clothing unless I love it, it has to have that passion of love in it or I don't want it so on a similar vein hey just speaking of this I've, I've got to ask this because I don't want to forget it Sorry, can we just say, uh, your purpose is amazing. Like, I love, like, it was such a, like, it's such a great purpose. And it came together so, um, I'd say it came together very quickly. But I just, I love it. I love the energy with which you speak it. And I love that this podcast is a result of it. Well, well, it is. And like I said, I had words here and there. And, like, I wanted the word kick-ass in there. I love the word Because I think that's. Yeah, so do I, because it takes away from it being too professional or whatever. And, you know, I want to be a kick-ass woman. I love liberation, even though for me the word liberation also um, infers freedom. And I, But I, I connect with the word liberation more than freedom because I think it's I want to live without any limitation in any area of my life completely. So it's you know, goes for me beyond just freedom. So even the choice of words, mm. and like I said, it was kind of scattered, but you bringing it to that place has liberated me um, to go back. And liberation is one of my, my core values. Yep. So, again, it all tied beautifully 
into what my core values are, which I did already know and I was very, very clear on those. But it actually, there's no surprise that there's that overlap at the same time. Mm. Um, so, so just on, I have to ask you this question because this is when I first heard about you, met up with you and I was, didn't take very long um, thinking about working with you and got online and that one of, one of the things that actually did get me over the line was when you did a presentation at a women's event in your bathers. Mm, <laughs> and I again, did. this goes, one of my core values is laughter. <laughs> Can you please share how did that happen? Mm. And, you know, talk about courage on a different level. The fact that you went through with it. Can mm. you just can you bring that to this table, please? Well, I think it's interesting because that's probably like there was a lot of courageous things that I've done, like I say, that I wouldn't have done before um, this life, this nine years. And that was probably the second and perhaps still is, you know, the most visible act of courage that still impacts people to this day. Um, so I was invited to speak. It was probably one of my first serious speaking gigs, if I'm honest. Um, I was invited to speak at a conference in St Kilda called the Level Up Conference. And so it was 120 professional women and they wanted me to talk about tactics for happy change. So I was probably three years into my journey and um, I was like, okay, this is interesting. So um, they had a full day conference. They had amazing women that were speaking. I knew most of them. So I was and the other thing that was really interesting was they had me on the graveyard shift, which I know you'll appreciate. So after lunch, um, and they were serving wine with lunch. So I'm like, one, how am I going to stand out and impact the lives of this audience amongst such amazing women? And secondly, how am I going to keep them awake given they're giving them wine at lunchtime? So I had one of those moments where you wake up in the middle of the night a few weeks out and it was like, that's it. That's it. Um, and so I got out there and I stood on that stage with a body built for comfort, not for modeling. And um, I undid my bohemian wraparound dress and I said, love me or hate me, you will not forget me. And I stood there in my bathing suit <laughs> and I said, if there is only one thing that you take away from today, it's that happy change is found when you learn to get comfortable in discomfort. And I can honestly tell you, it doesn't get any more effing uncomfortable than this. Now, I've done a lot of talks in front of thousands of people around the world and that's the first time I've had a standing ovation in the first three minutes of a talk. There was not a woman in that room that could not relate to how uncomfortable that was because every woman, um, you know, most, well, 99.9% .9 of women have body image issues. You know, we all don't like our bodies. And so to do it as a woman who doesn't look like a supermodel and just for them to connect with that vulnerability, but also they could feel, I wanted them to feel what it feels like to be courageous yeah, and equally see the impact that could have on the lives of others as a catalyst for change. Now, my intent was to move the women in that room, to step into fear and courage in a way they never had before. And it, it did that. Like so many of them came up to me afterwards and said, you've just given me permission to do this thing that I've wanted to do for ages but been too scared to do because it's nowhere near as scary as what you just did. Yeah, and, and what you just did, it all worked out okay. Now, the irony was that would have been enough. That would have been enough and that was the intent. But a couple of other things happened. So by being that courageous, first and foremost, when I undid that dress and stood there in all my glory for the very first time in my life, and I must have been like 42 years old, I realised that I no longer needed the validation of anybody but myself. As long as I was true to who I want to be and true to the purpose that I wanted to live, the only validation I needed in life was my own. And you talk about liberation. I cannot tell you how liberating that was. The second thing that happened was those women shared that moment on social media. And, you know, this was back at a time where you didn't go viral on LinkedIn. It went viral on LinkedIn. I think it had over 50,000 views. It went all around the world. And it created this movement called Naked for Change, where I was getting emails and messages and DMs from people all around the world saying, this is authentic leadership. This is someone showing up in all of their truth and it's given them permission again to do something they're afraid of. So it was never intended as a publicity stunt. It was intended to move the women in that room. I will never do it again because I don't need to. But it was probably one of the one of the most courageous, but I would say it's one of the things I'm most proud of, even though it seems funny, right? 
because um, because it still to this day inspires women. Like you said, you Googled me. And when it comes up, women, it's the first thing women ask. They're like, oh, my God. Tell me the story. It is so true. And it, it really, I thought, if she can do that, <laughs> and I agree what you say, that it doesn't matter if, and I'm sure even supermodels, if they're on a catwalk in their yeah. bathers, that's one thing. But if they were doing a, you know, a more corporate presentation to a group of 120 other, you know, really accomplished women, I think yeah. even they in their perfect body would still be uncomfortable doing that and delivering it in their bathers. So mm -hmm. that for me was like, if Penny can do that, she's absolutely the woman I want to take me on my next journey. Albeit we do it with your clothes on <laughs> as opposed to in bathers. <laughs> um, which is great. But, but to, to have done that and, how did it come to you? Was, was Like, where did it come from? Because, you know, if I was to think of something that I could do to move people, taking my clothes off and delivering in my bathers wouldn't have been something that – had you seen it before or where? No, I had never seen it. it. Like I say, it was. It, it, there must have been something going on, like studying psychology now. There must have been something going on in my subconscious because it had not even crossed my mind. Literally, I woke at 2 a.m. in the morning and went, that's it. It's like it just came to me. Um, which is, it is, and I don't know that there's anything else in my life, like in terms of great ideas that just, you know, normally you find dots connect, you know, but obviously the dots were connecting without me realizing it, it just appeared, but no, I had never seen it done before. I don't think, I, and you know, it was covered in media around the world. Um, there was, I think I was in the daily mail in the UK and, um, you know, it was or in loads of different publications in Australia, but again, because I don't think anyone had done anything like it. Mm, amazing, amazing. And and can I ask? And I know you have done an episode on this. Yeah. But body image, and particularly with women, is a massive issue. And again, it doesn't matter, you know, what size. Most women have got some hang up about their body. Some women can't even look at themselves naked in the mirror because it's so uncomfortable. Was that your experience growing up as well? Oh, yeah. Like how um, were you in body image as a child? Yeah, and it's funny, right, because now I study trauma, I understand so much more about who I am and why I behave the way that I do. So I grew up as a chubby kid. I was always chubby. Like, um, I, I was on farms, so I was always active. I rode horses and everything. My brother and sister were skinny, but I was always chubby. I don't know why, um, but it's just it was part of who I am. And I am more of a solid build, yeah? I'm not making excuses, but I, I just am. So what ended up happening was, um, uh, you know, I was very un unhealthy as a teenager um, and <laughs> very dysfunctional. Um, so I was always, you know, doing the wrong thing and um, getting in trouble and all of that sort of stuff. And um, I, because I grew up in the country and stuff and hung around with the wrong crowd, I created a really good smoking habit. So I became much more overweight and I used to smoke a packet of cigarettes a day. So by the time I was 26, um, I think I was, I think I was like 96 kilos. I was huge. And I look back at photos and I was just like, Oh my God, like it's hard to believe. Um, and what happened was I, I decided to quit smoking something again in me went, you know what, one day you're going to want to have kids. And I wanted to be, you know, a good mum one day. And I didn't want to be smoking with children. I it just didn't feel right for me, even though I loved my smoking. And so I, I went on this program called Smoke Enders, and it was like an eight-week habit. It was like a behaviour change program. And at the end of the eight weeks, I quit, and that was it. Like, I never thought I could quit. I never believed I could do it because I loved smoking, and I quit, and I've never gone back, never gone back. And it gave me, again, it gave me this power to go, shit, if I can do that, what else can I do? And that was the catalyst for me to say, right, you know what, I'm going to change the way I live my life. I'm going to move my body. I'm going to start eating better. And I didn't change everything overnight. It was a gradual process. So it took me 12 months. Um, and I joined Weight Watchers back then and I lost 26 kilos and completely changed my lifestyle. Um, and, you know, and became a much healthier version of myself, like I said, and then ended up running half marathons and doing triathlons and doing 180k bike rides and Oxfam trail walkers, like all of, because I was like, shit, what else can I do? That's the beauty of courage, right? 
you do these courageous things and then you go, oh, if I can do that, I must be able to do other stuff. Um, and so in terms of body image, I think the hard part is, like I said, understanding the psychology of it now, it does not matter how much weight I lose or how healthy I am. I mean, I'm 48. I'm probably more active than most 48-year-olds I know. I can leg press 300 kilos, so I'm extremely strong. Um, you know, David and I hike on the weekends through the forest for 20 kilometers. Um, I'm active, but I still look in the mirror and the little girl inside of me still sees the chubby little girl. And I don't know how I can ever take that away. So I'd say it's still something that's with me. It's that inner child work that perhaps needs to be done. But I still see the chubby little girl when I look in the mirror. I don't hate who I see when because I, I know that it's like it's like body dysmorphia. You know that it's where you do, what you're seeing is not real. Um, it's like you also will relate to this as a speaker. You know, you have headshots done. You've got videos of you on stages. You see photos of you. On, I hate it. Not because I don't think I'm good at what I'm what I'm doing, but I always look at the photos and I never look how I want to look. I always feel like I look bigger. And it's funny because then you'll look back, you know, I'll look at photos three years ago when the photo was taken. I was like, oh God, I look horrendous. I look back now and I go, you looked great. Like it's not logical, right? It's irrational. So I'm connected in with the irrational. And the one thing I do say to myself quite often now because of what I'm learning in my studies is when I say those things to myself, I immediately now say to myself, how can I show Penny compassion? What would compassion look like if I was talking to someone else who was saying the same crazy things to me? And the word compassion has changed my life. Oh, I can feel that deep in my bones. I can feel that you know where you are now from a health and fitness point of view, yet you look in that mirror and you still see chubby penny. But now you've got the the skill of adding compassion into it. So even though that might be what your brain sees, that you can deal with it and handle it. And as you say, how, how do you ever get rid of something like that? Maybe not, but how do you then deal with it so that that doesn't stop you or hold you back or... I did a podcast um, episode just recently with a woman who started Born to Boogie. So it's a dance group that oh, I, I was that. a part of for many, many years. Yeah, it was super cool. And it was funny because um, Tennille, who's the founder of Born to Boogie, was telling me about one time when there was a girl who came and signed up for this and you learn two dances over 13 weeks. Mm. Now, when you're dancing... You've got to do it in front of the mirrors, not because you're trying to see how good you are, but because you need to get your moves right. You need to yeah. know, you know, where your arms are, where your legs are, where your feet are. So you, you actually have to do it. It's like when you lift weights, you do it in front of a mirror to make sure you've got the right um, yeah, structure and, and body position. Yeah, and she said that there was one girl who was so ashamed of her body that the entire 13 weeks at every rehearsal, which is in front of the mirror, she never, ever once looked in the mirror, never, which I don't know how you learn the dances without looking in the mirror. But yet she still got up on stage at the end and performed in front of hundreds and hundreds of people, including all of her friends and family. And, And from that day onwards, you know, what she looked at in the mirror no longer felt shame, no longer kind of had to hide from it. Now, she might not have loved what she saw straight away, but she was able to get past it. Mind you, it took that to do it. So, yeah, it's really interesting that you can, even with all the training that you've done, you might still look and see that little girl, but that doesn't stop you anymore. It doesn't hold you back. It doesn't have that same visceral feeling maybe as when you were that little girl. No, um, and some things, you know, fascinating. Like- There's some things, and this is the thing, right? So I do all of this work, but it's like the, you know, sometimes you find the mechanic's got the shitty car. And it's not that you're not amazing at what you do, but it's like you can't look to anyone for support and think they're perfect because none of us are. None of us have got it all worked out. And I'm far from perfect. And I'm still working through my own stuff. And I will be for the rest of my life. It's never done. You know, we all have our, to be human is to be beautifully flawed. And, you know, I embrace that. I am beautifully flawed and uh, far from perfect. And I'm doing the work just like the rest of my clients. And how does that make you feel? I was having a conversation with someone yesterday who is working as a coach 
And she said, but I sometimes feel like I'm a fraud because I don't have a coaching qualification as such. Mm. And she sometimes said, now she's got an entire lived experience around what she's coaching. Yep. She has credentials in all these other areas in the space that she's in, but she doesn't have the coaching qualification. So this pops up. So what do you say to that, that you're still a bit of a work in progress teaching others about the work that you're doing how how does that how do you get through that and get past that mm. imposter syndrome is a really interesting thing because it's the belief that you are not deserving um of the position that you're in and if I put on my trauma therapy hat and what I'm learning there and how I've started to unpack this stuff using the science um, in terms of tools, the first thing I would say is if you experience imposter syndrome, ask yourself, when was the first, go back to the first time you ever felt that feeling? So if I do that for me, because I've had imposter syndrome, I don't, I don't have it anymore. Um, I've let it go. And I think probably because I've done this work, right? So the first time I really felt like a massive imposter was when Shell paid me an absolute fortune to go and live in Perth four days a week. Um, and, you know, the job was a dream job. They were growing from 200 to 1,000 staff in two years and they wanted me to be responsible for evolving the culture of the organisation. So I had a blank slate, a stack of money. You know, I had a small child. I got to work part-time in an amazing location. And I was like, they're going to wake up one day and it won't be far off and they're going to realise... I have no idea what I'm doing. Does it, and so ask yourself, when was the first time you felt that? Now, is, and then ask yourself based on that feeling, right? So where, what was the feeling that sat, like what, if you drop into your body, what was the feeling? Because imposter syndrome is, is not a feeling, yeah? It's a thing. It's a belief. I'm an imposter. So if you then drop into your body and say, where do I feel that? And what is the actual feeling? So the feeling for me, I feel it in my heart. Yeah. And for me, the feeling is that I'm not enough. What sits behind imposter syndrome more often than not is that I am not enough. Now, then I would ask myself, is that true? Where is the evidence to suggest you are not enough? Because I will guarantee you that the facts are the facts and the fact is that someone's put you in that position. People are paying you as a coach because they believe that you are capable of delivering. So whilst I didn't have the experience for that job because that job didn't exist, it was completely new, no one else had the experience, they believed that I would work it out, right? And so maybe your friend... Maybe her coaching clients believe that she has enough to do the job and do it well and work it out. And so that, that little process, you know, we, we have belief systems that come from our childhood experiences when we are emotionally immature and those belief systems often can act in our disservice. And they equally create adaptive mechanisms within our physiology that are designed to protect us and make us safe, but often hold us back from realizing our potential. They suppress our wholeness. And so when you can connect into your limiting beliefs, and imposter syndrome would be one, and really sit with it and ask myself, what is the feeling that sits behind it? Not the perception I have of myself, the feeling and what does that feeling have to tell me? Awareness is the first step to change. Mm, always. Oh, I love that. Oh, I love, I love, I love, I love, I love that. <laughs> and, and and I love, though, that you also said, Penny, and I know you, with all your training around psychology, both formally and all the work that you do, that you don't have it anymore. And I'm gathering that if it even did try to raise a zunkly little head, you've got the tools to do exactly what you just said so that it doesn't stop you or hold you back. No, and there is a quote that I heard that 
completely solidified and changed. I say this to myself, if it ever feels like I'm going, oh, I'm not sure I can do this or like, it's not that those feelings go away. It's that you get better at correcting yourself quicker and going, that's bullshit. Yeah. And And this is the quote. It's that every expert was once a beginner. So if you don't let, allow yourself to be a beginner, how can you ever be an expert? So Warren Buffett was once a beginner. And we all look, he didn't, the guy's 90. He didn't arrive at, at you know, 18 years old as Warren Buffett. You know, he was a beginner. Bill Gates was a beginner. Brené Brown was a beginner. You know, these people invested and trusted and were courageous. And, you know, it's a long game. Mm, I love that. It is a long game, and uh, and we do sometimes need that a bit of a double take, double check that yeah, we, we have to start somewhere. And usually, imposter syndrome comes when you're doing something that either you haven't done before, or you are new at it, or something, and no one else is expecting you to be performing at that level other than yourself, other than yourself. And sometimes yeah, dealing the best with people that. for the job. So- are the ones that don't have the baggage of doing the job in the past. Do you know what I mean? They're not held down by the way things used to be done. They come to it with a completely different perspective and approach because they haven't done it before. That's why we love diversity. That's why diversity is now advocated so strongly, right? Because it brings new ideas and new perspectives. Completely. And I know that that's one of the things I picked up when I was starting to learn more about you was that we often say doing something with like-minded people and you challenge that (laughs) and you say there's such beauty in doing things with unlike-minded people. I don't know if you use those words. Yeah, I do. But where people... Oh, you do. So, yeah, so that's where you're getting different perspectives, different opinions, different viewpoints, doing all of that because that adds more wholeness and more richness to what you then get to see and explore. You can still make your own choices from there, but you have a far more informed Mm. foundation to make that choice from. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. And, you know, I know this is completely different, but I went on an adventure weekend over the weekend with 10 women I don't know and Mm. one of and it was to do these adventures which was quite crazy but I remember one of the activities was we had to walk up the equivalent of five stories you're harnessed in so there's that kind of plan b safety um, element in the back of your mind but you walk up and then you get to the top of these five stories and you walk out on a balcony that's literally like as big as my arm and then you get to the end of the balcony and you've got to jump off or yeah. fall backwards and what have you now looking at it from the ground up five stories is not that high <laughs> but the minute you start walking up that ladder I remember now I never looked down but I could feel my body elevated and my mind went, oh, my God, you're five stories up, you're five stories up, danger, danger, danger. And and then standing on that balcony and looking down, it's like, oh, fruit, oh, my God, what am I doing? And then within seconds you're down on the ground again and you're looking up and that whole, the different perspective, but by having, you know, at each rung of the ladder, from the top, from the bottom, being able to look at it, I was able to assess the overall experience completely different because I had more inputs I had more Mm. you know the different perception of different you know height and angles and it was such a small thing but it was such a huge learning and I didn't do it for a second time because we had to move on to the next activity but I reckon that that would have meant the first time the courage I had to reach in and find was was really big. Yep. And the second time it wouldn't have needed as much because I had more information. I had different perspectives to lie to rely on. So, so just on that note, Penny, what's one other really big thing where you have had to reach in and find some courage to do? Oh wow. Um. I know you've got thousands of examples, but what's one other really yeah, big I'm one? To... <laughs> I'll share one that I think might be helpful. Well, there's a couple. COVID was a challenging time, especially for people in Melbourne, right? Um, so I think, but it was it was also a gift. So for me, because I wasn't travelling and speaking like I was, 
it gave me space. And so I had this beautiful moment where I was like, what have I always wanted to do but couldn't do because I was on a plane? And so the courage there was that I um, decided to go and live a lifelong dream at the age of, what, 47 and study psychology, study to become a psychologist. And that was pretty courageous to go back to uni at that age um, and say, I'm going to do this. Because a lot of people, I can't tell you how many people go, like, wow, that's, you know, like, I feel like people feel like that your career is, your career should be done or sorted by then. And I'm like, no, this is the next evolution. Um, so that felt pretty courageous because, you know, I, I have a master's. I did my, my master's, my MBA um, when I was working full time back when I was 28. I think I finished when I was 32 or something like that. So I've done it. I've, you know, I've studied before, but to go back after so long and study something completely new and a science, you know, um, I'm not, I would never have called myself a scientist, um, was pretty, that felt pretty brave and it was pretty uncomfortable. But the other thing I would share that might be even more helpful for your audience is, um, I'll never forget when I got my first big international speaking gig. And so it came off the back of some random person following me on Instagram. This is a great story. Um, that I didn't even know existed. And she was based in The Hague, uh, sorry, in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam. And it turned out um, she worked for bookings.com. And so I woke up one morning and I had an email in my inbox and it said, we'd like to invite Penny Lacasso to speak at our annual staff conference for 5,000 people in Amsterdam. And I would like, seriously, I thought it was a joke. Because I didn't think, I was like, this is a joke. This is too good to be real. And then, you know, obviously I checked the website and all the rest of it and the, the email and I was like, oh, this is actually legit. So it turned out this girl on Instagram had been following me and was so inspired by what I was doing. She, the company had gone out to all of their staff and said, who would you love to speak um, that we don't know about? And she put my name in and lo and behold, I was invited to speak in Amsterdam. Now, the challenge was I had a coach at the time and um, I was like, I had no idea what to charge, right? And as women, we always undervalue ourselves. And I had to fly halfway around the world to deliver an hour keynote, right, for 5,000 people. So I was like, I know what I'd charge if it was here in Melbourne, but it's like, this is like two days of travel. I'm going to have to go for at least a week. Um, it's not just an hour, plus the preparation. Like, I want to do an amazing job. It takes a lot of work to do a great job as a talker. Um, and so I said to her, I don't know what to charge. And she said to me, what is it worth if you charge, you know, the amount of time? And I said, to, I think I, it was like $15,000. Yeah, and I, it's funny, I charge more than that now and I don't even blink. But this was foundational. But I said to her, I can't charge that. And I said, because I really want to do it. And to be honest, I do it for free. Like, she said, you can't say that. And I go, I know, I know, I'm not going to devalue myself. But I was like, I really want it, I really want it. And I don't want to price myself out of it. And she said, you have to charge what it's worth. And she said, if you can't do it for yourself, do it for every woman that comes after you. And I went, oh. <laughs> and that was it. And so every time now I doubt my value, and again, maybe this helps your friend as an imposter, yeah? Every time you doubt your value as a woman, ask yourself, if I can't do this for myself, I have to do it for every woman that comes after me. Because if there is one thing we know, there is still a massive gender pay gap and it's because we don't fight enough for what we're worth. And so I don't question my worth anymore. And do you know what, Penny? I've got goosebubbles as you're sharing this. One thing that comes up with women all the time is I would do anything to help another but when it comes to doing something for myself, I don't. So even that reframing of if you're not doing it for you, please do it for the other women that are coming along behind you. And I reckon that in itself is the gold that so many women need to actually get on and do things. Because if you're going to do this, if you're going to pave that way yeah. and be the role model for what's possible for others – there's a better chance you're going to do it. Whereas if you're just doing it for yourself and charging your own worth, I know there is that struggle, but what a beautiful, beautiful story mm. and superbly strong message, powerful message to, to go through that. And I know Mel Robbins, the motivational speaker, has a similar story like that that she shares where 
Um, it was all around a speaking fee and the event organisers almost weren't going to hire her because her fee was so cheap and the other two guys who also were the speakers who weren't nearly as good as her were getting about 20 grand and I think yeah. she was charging like two. And the event organiser said, if not for you in the future, please, please put your prices up for anyone else that might come through as well. So, wow. yeah, what a beautiful, beautiful story. Oh, my God, I could sit here and talk to you forever because I know I know how much, well, I know a lot more now even after this conversation, how much a role courage has played in your life. So just as we come towards the close, what's your next courageous big step that you're taking at the moment? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I know um, it's hard to limit it to one. Yeah. Um, I would say it's, for me, it's going into honours next year and doing it full time. So I want to get through my psychology qualification as quickly as I can because I feel that it will allow me to positively impact the lives of more people. And I think the world needs a different type of psychologist. I think that the model of psychology is broken. Um, I think, you know, as a student of psychology, there are so many things that we could do better in terms of how we teach and what we teach um, and equally reducing the barriers to study psychology because there's so many people that would be brilliant psychologists that are not academically gifted and if you don't get ridiculous marks, you can't get through. Um, so I would say, yeah, my next courageous move is um, trusting that, the universe will work things out so that I can study full-time next year in honours. I'll still do my work, but I can create the space to give to that fully, still study my trauma therapy, which I've got until middle of next year. Um, yeah, that's that's probably – it doesn't sound so big in the context of everything else, but for me it's, yeah, it's a massive commitment. Um, yeah. Can I also say – It does sound big. <laughs> I think the other thing that's really interesting, <laughs> given this podcast is about courage, is, again, for your listeners, you have no idea how you will impact the lives of others when you act courageously. So courage has this beautiful ripple effect, like when I stood on that stage, right? It, it, when you do courageous things, and you know you do them often because it's something that you've wanted to do but you've been too afraid to do, the on-flow effects of that, of how it will inspire and motivate others, I have found will blow you away. And so if you, especially, I mean, most women that I, I research, um, most high-performing professional women tell me that one of the things that is most important to them is being a role model for their children. And I would say if you want to be that, that role model for your children, you want to be that mother that is that role model the best thing you can do for yourself is to start stepping into the most courageous version of you because that's what you will teach your children. And Jordan Peterson says, do you want to raise your children to be safe or strong? Because you can't have both. And for me, I choose strong. Oh, me too. Any day. Mm. Mm. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful note to end on. I will put all the contact details for how you can reach Penny in the show notes. That goes without saying. Her book, Hacking Happiness, I'm really a bit scared about saying that word now after the introduction. And Penny was my personal coach for six months and has literally transformed my life and put an element of courage back in, giving me the confidence to go out there and do things that I've wanted to do for so long. So if you are in the market for a coach, I can't recommend Benny more highly. And, you know, check her out, like get onto her socials, listen into her podcast, which is actually also called Hacking Happiness, because the gold that she shares, her wisdom, her lived experience, also the academic side. So through your study in not just psychology and, and the trauma-informed now, but also all the other study you've done in the past. You're that beautiful combination of, you know, the facts and the feels, the head and the heart, and you bring all of that to the table in such a beautiful, warm and, and compassionate way. Um, and if anyone does feel like getting up on a stage in their bathers, talk to Penny first because I'm no, sure go she's for it. a couple of tips about that. <laughs> <Not to do. laughs> Penny Lacasso, the world is a better place because you're in it. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will definitely be having you back on again because there's 
there's so many things we didn't even get to cover that need to be covered. So thank you. And everyone know that if, if Penny can do it, I can do it. You can do it too and you've always got this. Thanks, Penny. Thank you for having me and well done to you for doing the work. Like it's amazing to watch it unfold. Thanks a million for joining me on this episode of Courageous Me. I hope it ignited a spark or two within you. To keep the inspiration flowing, hit that subscribe button and stay tuned for more episodes. We've got loads of amazing stories of courage, passion and practical tips coming your way. For all the show notes, resources and ways that we can connect, head to courageousme.com.au. And your feedback is incredibly valuable. So if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to leave a review and a rating. It'll help me spread more of this love and reach more wonderful people just like you. Until we meet again, my friend, always remember, you've got this.